time for a scripture reading, I, I had to put your Bibles down and just listen. I don't know if you were here last week. Do you remember that? Um, the idea is that, that God is speaking, and I want us to get used to listening to His Word. And so I'm going to read His Word again this morning. I'm not going to ask you to turn to the page. I just want you to listen. You may even want to just close your eyes and tune in. I want you to listen to God's Word as I read from Psalm 119. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe His testimonies, who seek Him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in His ways. You have ordained Your precepts that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep Your statutes. Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all Your commandments. I shall give thanks to You with uprightness of heart when I learn of Your righteousness judgment. I shall keep your statutes. Stop it! (laughs) Get off the stage! Take your instruments and go! My goodness, you guys. (laughs) Joyful noise. Okay, so I was trying to make a not-so-subtle point. Did you get it? See, the Word of God goes forth, and, and as it goes forth, um, there are times when we just don't hear it, right? And it may be... <laughs> it may be that we're not hearing it. Like, you go, why am I not hearing the Word of God? Well, maybe God's not speaking. But we addressed that last week, right? We opened up his word and we saw that it teaches us that God is alive and well. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He was speaking then. It is his nature to speak. He has continued speaking all throughout all of creation, and he continues to speak to us today, and that's not going to change. So if I'm not hearing God, and I think it's because he's not speaking, I need to go ahead and draw a line through that excuse on my paper. So then the other possibility I come up with is, you know, it's just that there's so much distraction. And that's what I was trying to illustrate for you here, right? We we live in a world where there's all kinds of stuff that distracts us from the voice of God. And here's the thing. With this, you know, I could tell them to shut up and sit down and they leave, right? But in our lives, the noise keeps going, doesn't it? Have you, is it just me or have you found that it's very hard to get away from distraction? That even when you find a quiet place and you go off, as the scripture says, into your, into your quiet room, your prayer closet to pray, that even in there when you remove all of the noise and all of the distractions, that you bring your brain with you, right? And then it just whirls, doesn't it? When you go to pray, when you go to read God's word, when you're trying to focus on God and meditate on truth and it's just... The truth of the matter is, we live in a world that, that does not help us listen to God. In fact, it distracts us. So God is still speaking, but if I'm not hearing him so well, it could be all the distractions, but since I cannot remove all of the distractions, then somehow, some way, I have got to come to grips with the fact that the only thing I have real control over is me. 
That when it comes to actually hearing and listening to the voice of God, I have got to find ways so that I do the things that I need to do so that when God's word comes forth, it doesn't just bounce off my skull, but it goes into my brain. And it doesn't just get processed in my brain, but it ends up in my heart. And it doesn't just end up in my heart, but it works its way out through my hands so that I'm actually living a transformed life because God has spoken. How sad it would be if our God was forever speaking, and yet there was so much noise going on all around us that we just shrugged our shoulders and gave up listening. What we're going to try to do in these next few weeks as we ask this question, can you hear him now, is we're going to grapple with this question of when God speaks, how does he speak? How do I begin to recognize his voice? What can I do to prepare my heart to hear him? What do I do to prepare my, my situation, my circumstances, my life to hear him? And then once I hear him, how can I respond in the way that he would have me respond? Now, I'm going to read to you again the passage that I was trying to read before I was so rudely interrupted, okay? And again, you don't have to turn there. It's Psalm 119. I'm going to begin in verse 9 and read through verse 16. But I just want you to hear this. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. For your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes I shall not forget your word. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with Psalm 119, but it's like 178 verses or something like that. It's the longest chapter in your Bible. And all that it does is poetically remind us how important God's word is over and over and over for almost 200 verses. Just in those few verses that I just read you, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to God's word. Um, and then he says, I, with all my heart, I sought you so that I won't wander from your commandments. Your word I treasure in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in your precepts, regard your ways, delight in your statutes, not forget your word. It's just like a million different ways of saying, when God speaks, I need to listen. Somehow, God gives us his word and his word is designed so that when we get it, it protects us, it enables us, it empowers us, it strengthens us, it encourages us, it convicts us, it directs us, it guides us. And yet, too often, we have a copy of this book and it sits on a shelf. Or maybe it sits in my car from Sunday to Sunday so I'll make sure I have it with me when I walk into the church building. Or maybe it's just gathering dust. In my office, I have these beautiful built-in oak bookcases, ceiling to floor all around because I'm a book guy. 
and I got thousands of books in there. And I have at least one and a half shelves all the way across that are just filled with Bibles. You want the Bible? I got it in every translation. How many ways do you want to hear it? You want it in leather? You want it in paperback? You want it in hardback? I got it. In fact, I bought one of these cool doohickeys so I can have it with me all the time in every translation, and I can email it to you if you need it. And most of us have the word like that. And we become so confident that it will always be there. We're so used to it that we take it for granted and we don't recognize that God has entrusted to us an incredible treasure that's worth billions and billions and billions of dollars if we could ever buy it. And we value it somewhere around 25 cents if you watch the way that we actually put it to work in our lives. And, and the reason that I'm preaching this series is not because I want to beat you over the head and make sure you feel terrible for not reading the Bible enough. It's not because I have some program for Bible reading and memorization that I want to teach you so that you can get it right. It's not because there's some way that we can all read through the Bible in six months and get it all done. That's not the point either. The reason I'm doing this is because God has given us this incredible treasure, and for too many of us, we don't treasure it. Now, I know we treasure it here, I know we say that we treasure it, but when we look at our lives and what we do with it, how much do we really treasure it? It's a powerful question, one that really deserves our careful thought as we think about it. See, all over the Scripture, we are told how valuable it is, but what do we actually think of it? So today, I'm going to begin to dig a little bit deeper. Today, we're going we're gonna to look at this question of how does God actually speak? How do we learn to recognize His voice? I was talking with somebody this week, and I just met her, and she was just a, a brand new acquaintance. I just met her, and uh, by the time she had spoken three words, I knew where she was from. She was from Australia. You heard somebody from Australia? You know how they speak, right? I won't even try to imitate it. Um, but you know it when you hear it, don't you? It's a, it's a very unique, very specific accent. And, and I would imagine that if she and I had become friends, that all I would have to do is pick up the phone and she would just say hello and I would know who it was because you learn to recognize a very specific voice like that. See, God has this very specific voice and we need to learn to recognize it. And we're going to talk about the different ways that God speaks. And I would say, for the sake of simplicity of discussion, let's boil it down to this. I want to talk about three specific voices of God. It's not to say that God doesn't speak in more than three ways, but I want to talk about the three primary ways that I think we hear from God, and those three ways would be the Bible, the Holy Spirit, and the wise counsel of others. Those are three ways that God speaks that when we, when we are seeking His direction, when we need to hear from Him, He may speak in those ways. Now again, it's not an exhaustive list. God can speak in all kinds of ways. He's God. You know, sometimes he has spoken from a thundering voice in the clouds. Sometimes God speaks in a still, small voice in your heart. Sometimes God, uh, when in Scripture, when there was a prophet who would not prophesy appropriately, what did God do? He spoke through the prophet's donkey, right? God can speak. You know, I am living proof that God can speak through a donkey. So, so God's got to find ways to speak, Right? But I would say if we want to boil it down, there are like these three main ways that we can expect to hear from God. 
And um, today, we're going to tackle the first of those three ways, which is the Scripture. And we're going to look at how God speaks through the Scripture. And we're going to think about it because of all the ways that God might speak, there are some that are appropriate in certain settings and some that He might use in other settings. So, like for us, it would be similar. We have all kinds of ways to communicate with one another, right? Um, you can talk face-to-face with somebody. If you want to talk to them, you need to get a message across. You can have a face-to-face conversation. I know it's old-fashioned, but it can still be done, right? Talk face-to-face. Uh, you could make a phone call. You have something you need to talk to me about. You just pick up the phone, dial my number. I pick up my phone. We don't even have to be in the same country. We can talk to each other, and I can hear what you have to say. I, get the, I, get the, I don't get to see your face, but I get the sound of your voice. I get the emotion in your words. I get all of that. We can do that with a phone. Or it's the 21st century. We can do what most people are doing today. You got something to say, you just text, right? There's, either way, I'm communicating. It's just different different modes that I use. So, but some are more appropriate in sometimes than others. So I would say, let's say, you know, you're a young man, you've been dating this woman for a couple of years, and you've decided she's really the one. You finally swallowed hard, went down to the jewelry store, bought the ring, did the whole deal. Now, here's what I would suggest. Now that you're ready to ask her, what you want to do is you want to get down on one knee, look up into your phone, and text her, will you marry me? I don't suggest that, right? It's the wrong context. And by the way, if you need to break up with somebody, don't do it that way either, okay? Coward. Um, but but it's, texting is great for certain things, right? If, you, if let's say that um, Doug had a job interview this week, and so I call him up and I go, hey, how'd the job interview go? I want to hear what he has to say. I want to ask him more questions about it. We do that on the telephone, right? That's way better than texting for that because I want to have that conversation with him, right? But there, there are other times when Christy just wants me to pick up a gallon of milk on the way home. All she's got to do is text me, bring milk. That's it, done, right? So God is going to speak in different ways at different times. And we need to start recognizing what those ways are. Today, we're going to focus on the Bible. Because the Bible is, without a doubt, the most clear, the most complete, the most concise, the most specific way that God communicates. And the other brilliant thing about hearing from God's Word directly, as opposed to some of these other ways that God may speak, is that it's really objective. It doesn't have to be how you feel and did you hear it and what, but you can just read it right there. It's written for you and all of us can read it together and we can discuss it. It's right there, this objective um, presence of God's word. So he speaks through the Bible. It's true that the heavens declare the handiwork of God. It's clear that um, all of creation speaks of God. It's also true that... um, God may speak through um, circumstances, opening and closing doors. It's also true, according to the Scripture, that He puts within us a knowledge of Him that we are born with, and it says we have it there, so we are without excuse when we ignore Him, right? All of these things God does, but the most profound way, the most clear way, the most unmistakable way that God speaks is when He speaks through His Word, the Bible. Remember, we talked about this last week. The Bible is not just what God said a long time ago that got written down, and now we get to read about it today. The Bible is God's Word today, living and active, 
powerful in our lives so that what he spoke thousands of years ago, he is still speaking to us today in a very real, live, current context. And we talked about that last week, and if you didn't get last week's message, go back and listen to it on, online and you'll pick that up. But if we were to sum up um, what the Bible gives us, we could say that basically, the Bible gives us God's point of view. Basically, that's it. And would you say we need God's point of view? Was that a helpful thing to have? Does God have a perspective that is slightly different than my perspective? Yeah, significantly so. It's getting close. It's fall, you know, is upon us, and we're going to be having all these uh, harvest festivals and all that kind of stuff coming up. And we don't do this pretty much out here in the suburbs, but, but uh, you know, in farm country, they always have those corn mazes, right? Have you ever heard of those? And the corn's super tall, and they cut paths between them, and you have to find your way through the maze. See, when you and I go through life, it's like we're in one of those corn mazes, and the corn is all up around us. All we could see is a little bit in front of us, a little bit behind us, maybe the sky right above us, but that's it. But wouldn't it be great if you're trying to get through a corn maze, wouldn't it be great if there was a friend who was standing on a tower who was looking down on the whole thing, and he had a walkie-talkie, and he would tell you, turn left, turn right, go straight, go back, and he would have the perspective that you lack, that's exactly what God has. So when he speaks to us, it's not just that he has some rules to give us and he wants to correct us and all that kind of stuff. It's because he's trying to guide us. It's because he's trying to help us. It's because he's trying to make us successful. And a lot of times we miss that because we're not willing to stop and listen. So it's helpful to get God's point of view on things. Remember, he has a perspective that we lack. He knows everything, okay? Now, I know some smart people, but you don't know everything. Unless you're a teenager, you probably don't know everything, okay? And in addition to knowing everything, God is incapable of lying. He can't do it even if he wanted to and he doesn't want to. He's incapable of lying. So he knows everything. He's incapable of lying. And he loves us perfectly, so he will never steer us in the wrong direction, right? Now, how valuable is that perspective? It's tremendously valuable. That's why we have to hold on to his word and go, oh, thank you, God, for this incredible treasure. Now, we got to dig into it and let God speak to us. In fact, let's do that this morning. I want you to turn in your New Testament to the book of 2 Timothy. Hopefully you brought a Bible with you. They always come in handy here on Sunday mornings. Bring one with you if you can. If you need one, let us know after the service and we will give you one gladly. Meanwhile, you can look on with somebody if you don't have one with you. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I want to read to you verses 16 and 17. What for many of us is very, very familiar passage, but which we really need to grapple with a little bit. It says, beginning in verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Most of us are familiar with verse 16. We've heard it before. It's the, it's the go-to verse when we talk about why the Bible is valuable, why the Bible is important, right? So a lot of us have heard it, but usually we don't continue reading through verse 17 where it says, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Why has God given us his word? He gave it to us as a gift because we need it, because it is equipment, basic equipment 
for living the life he's given you. It's the basic equipment. I don't know what the basic equipment is if you were going to go rock climbing, but I'm guessing you would want to have some ropes. I'm guessing you would want to have some chalk for your hands. I'm guessing that you would want to have a partner that would be there with you to to, um, hold your belay, right, so that you don't fall. I'm sure that you would want all of those kinds of things, and you wouldn't want to go rock climbing without it. And it's exactly the same with life. There are certain things you got to have or you will not succeed in the life that God has given you. And one of those things is His Word. It's profitable. It equips us. It is the toolbox that we need to live the life that God has called us to live. Okay? So, um, when we look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, we need to understand that when it says that all Scripture is inspired... That word inspired is a Greek word, and some of you know this. It means literally breathed from God. God breathed. That all Scripture is God breathed. It comes forth from the mouth of God. It is God's speech, in other words, when we read Scripture. Okay? Now, what does that mean? It means that when God has a message, He has put it for us in the Scripture, and it comes straight from His mouth. And we're going to come back to that, and we're going to look at that in some detail. But before we do that, I want to take you to another passage, then we'll come back to 2 Timothy. I want you to go to 2 Peter, which is to the right, almost to the end of your New Testament. If you get to 1 John, you went too far. 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to begin in verse 20, 2 Peter chapter 1. Now... Let's take a um, a little pop quiz here, okay? We were just in 2 Timothy. Who wrote 2 Timothy? Paul, okay? 2 Timothy was written by Paul. It was named for Timothy, who was the recipient of the letter, okay? Who wrote 2 Peter? Peter. God does this stuff to confuse us, I think, right? So 2 Peter is not written for the recipient, but for the author, Okay, so Peter now, we're, we're looking at two different authors, both from God's Word, okay? We just saw Paul, now we're seeing Peter. Here's what Peter has to say, his take on the same thing. Verse 20, chapter 1, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Okay, prophecy. The word prophecy here is not the word that we usually associate when we hear the word prophecy. When we think of prophecy, we think of a prediction of the future, right? That's not what this word means. There is a specific Greek word that means a prediction of the future, and it's not used here. The word that is used here that is translated as prophecy just simply means that which God speaks, God's words, okay? So he's saying the same thing that Paul was saying in 2 Timothy when he says all Scripture is inspired. He's saying all of these prophecies, right, that have been come forth from God are not a matter of one's own interpretation. Now, we have undoubtedly all heard or seen some version of this discussion. Somebody begins to say something about God's Word and how it comes to bear on our society today, and someone says, well, you know what? You can interpret the Bible any way you want, right? That's your interpretation. My interpretation is different. We hear that all the time, right? And what is, what is God saying to us here? He's saying, listen, guess what? The Scripture does not sit there and wait for you to judge it. 
the Scripture serves as your judge. The Scripture means what it means. It says what it says. You don't get to decide that you don't really like what it says and you want it to say something else and just call that your own interpretation. And while it is true that there are, there are definitely passages, um, often they're, they're hard to interpret, rather obscure passages of Scripture where people come to different conclusions. I mean, good, good, solid scholars come to different conclusions about the meaning of this teaching and what is this really about. And, and, and they could both come with great intentions and a great heart and lots of training and lots of expertise, and they can come to different interpretations. And we have to have enough humility as we look at His Word to realize we're not right about everything. So we do the best we can to interpret his word. But if you have two people, let's say that Robert interprets a passage one way and I interpret a passage another way, and you have to figure out which one is correct. It's not whoever wins the argument. It's not whoever yells the loudest. It's not whoever is the most convincing. The scripture means what it means. He's wrong and I'm right. He's right and I'm wrong, or we're both wrong. But somehow the scripture means what it means. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because there is a major mistake that a lot of us make, and we've sort of been subtly taught to do this in our lives, because we've been really given the, our Bibles, and a lot of people have sort of given us this idea that the Bible is primarily a devotional book, and that God wants to say something to me. And so what I'm supposed to do is open my Bible and go, okay, Lord, what do you want to say to me? And that's partially true, but here's the bottom line. Before I can ask the question, what is God saying to me from Scripture? I have to ask the question, what is God saying? And then I have to figure out how it applies to me. Now, the reason I'm going into this is because when we think about the way God inspired people to write the Scripture, it's very much like this. There was an original audience that it was written to. It, it took place in a, in a cultural setting. It was written by a specific author, right? And to some degree, when I read my Bible, it's as though I'm actually reading over the shoulder of the original audience. And what it cannot have meant to them, it cannot mean to me. Now, it can apply to my life differently than it would apply to their lives. But it means what it means. God is speaking, and when God speaks, He means something. Words have meaning, and so it matters. So we're talking about the doctrine of inspiration here in Second Peter. He says that men, what does it say in verse uh, 21? For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. That's a weird way to say it. Men, okay? Peter is a man, just a man. Now he's an apostle. He had the Holy Spirit in him. He was powerfully empowered by God, but he's just a man. And when he wrote these words, he wrote them with his quill and his ink on parchment, right? God communicated his word through Peter. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, wrote the word as it was inspired by God. But it's so interesting because if you read Paul's writings and then you read Peter's writings, if you remove the names from them, you would immediately notice which ones are Paul and which ones are Peter because their, their style is so different, right? So God speaks through these different men, but he speaks each man's own accent as it comes out in the words of Scripture. Let me try to illustrate this for you. I'm going to have Ricky, Ricky, we come back up here again. I'm going to have Ricky do this and bring up the instruments, please. Um, and uh, we're going to give Ricky a chance to show off his talent. 
and uh, play the most complex song that he's ever learned on the piano. Can you play it for us? All right. Anybody recognize that? What is that song? Mary had a little... Oh, you don't sing it. Just... It's okay. Okay? All right. So play that for us on electric guitar now. He's going to play the same song. Mary had a little lamb. Let's hear how it is after we plug in everything and step on all the right buttons and... Okay, same song, right? You recognize it? Okay, now let's hear it on acoustic guitar. I was going to do this for you myself, but he needs his ego propped up. <laughs> yeah, we'll sing this next week. Good. similar, right, to what it just was on the electric guitar, but different, right? You could tell immediately it's a different instrument. Okay, let's do it with the bass. Anybody bring a xylophone, a sousaphone, anything? Here for Ricky. Away with you. Okay, so what's the point? The point is this same exact tune, right? Same notes in the same combination with the same rhythms. It's the same tune. But on the bass guitar, it sounds very similar, but very different than it sounds on the piano, right? That's what happens when God inspired these men to write his word. It's, it's as though he poured himself word for word through these men, but he did not just sort of like possess them so they went into some sort of a trance and just wrote. He actually worked through their personalities, their vocabularies, their experiences, and he poured his word through those people. You say, how did he do that? I don't know. He's God, Right? An amazing thing, the inspiration of Scripture. And God has done that. And He has not only inspired His Scripture through these people and given it to us, but, but it's an amazing thing how after thousands of years, He has protected it. Now, you, you talk to critics, you hear this. People make these comments like, oh, there's all kinds of contradictions in the Bible. No, there's not. You hear people say, well, you know... It, the Bible's old, you know, we don't even have the original manuscripts. It's true, we don't have the original manuscripts. But we have manuscripts that are thousands of years old. And you know what? Defying all logic and explanation, they match what we have today. Now, sure, there have been translators, and translators give it their own thing. And there, there have been scribes, and some things have been slightly askew, and some things have been slightly different. But the Word of God has not only been given to us, but it has been preserved for us so that when we study it, we actually get the same word of God that he spoke in the first century or in the second century B.C. We have all of this, and God has given it to us and protected it. Now, let me give you an example of how this works. Oh, my goodness, running out of time. Okay, go to the book of James. 
It's because Ricky took too long playing all that stuff. <laughs> Go to the book of James. You're in the back of the Old Testament. Um, it's very close, or back in the New Testament. It's very close to um, 2 Peter there. Go to the book of James. It's just a couple pages to the left. And James chapter 1, verse 1, okay? It says this, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, greeting. Now let's stop there. Okay? He's identifying himself. His name is James. He's the author. In our letters today, we sign them at the end. Um, he signed, in those days, they signed your letters at the beginning, which makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? So you don't read through the whole thing going, who is this? Right? So you get it right at the beginning. And so he identifies himself. Who wrote this letter? James. But already we have a problem, don't we? There's only 20,000 guys in the New Testament named James, right? So which James is it? Well, it doesn't take a ton of study. It doesn't take a lot of research. Uh, we can narrow it down very, very quickly to two or three, and then there's a little bit of discussion, and we have to look up some things, and we find out that this James is not the Apostle James. This James is James, the brother of Jesus. He's the one who was the pastor of the church at Jerusalem, okay? And I won't, I won't bore you with all the details of how we figure that out, but it takes about two minutes of research to figure that out. And we know which James this is, okay? Now, he's identifying himself, and his name is James. He's the brother of Jesus. He doesn't call himself James, the brother of Jesus, so that you'll go, wow, this guy must be important. He actually, you know, used to share Cheerios with Jesus, <laughs> right? He, he just says, I am a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he humbly introduces himself. And then he tells us who he's writing to. To the 12 tribes. Now, who are the 12 tribes? There's the Navajo, the Cherokee. No, what, who are the 12 tribes? Israel, okay? He's writing to Jews. And later he calls them brethren in verse 2. Considered all joy, my brethren... So whenever you refer to them as brethren, he's saying they are Christians as well. So they're Jewish Christians, and what do we know about them? They are dispersed abroad, okay? And if you just read the book of Acts, you know that what happened in the first century was a great persecution came upon Christians in Israel, in Jerusalem in particular, and they had to disperse and go to other countries to flee for their lives. So he's writing to these people who are undergoing great stress and trials and difficulty because they are Jewish Christians who are dispersed and living in other countries. We know that much just from the introduction and what he says. And then he says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So he's giving them some just basic, clear teaching. Don't freak out when you have trials. And, and of course, to this audience, that makes all the sense in the world, doesn't it? Uh, you're going to have trials. There's nothing you could do, he says, but you might as well rejoice because God is using your trials in order to make you mature and strong and perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, okay? So we have to understand that the way they understood it before we can begin to say, what does this have to do with me living in 21st century Southern California, working where I work, living with my family and dealing with my issues, right? Does that make sense? So God not only spoke his word and not only preserved his word, but he teaches it to us directly as we study it. All of that is still happening. Now, um, since we're reading our Bibles over the shoulder of the original audience, 
Let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and let's see what we can learn from what God had to say to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Now, a more precise translation of this at the beginning of the verse, where it says all Scripture is inspired by God, or maybe your Bible says God breathed, and we talked about that. A really more specific exact translation would be all inspired Scripture is profitable for teaching and so forth. All inspired Scripture. Because we use the word Scripture to mean holy writings, but that's not what the word means. It just means writings, right? If it's written, it's Scripture. So um, he's saying all of the writings that are inspired by God, that are God-breathed, that separates them from other writings, right? So if I write a book, it may be brilliant. I'm sure it would be. It It may be profound. It may be entertaining, it may be helpful, it may be useful, it may be poetic, it may be all of those things, but I'll tell you what it isn't, God breathed. So even the best books that we have or the best preachers that we have, the best information that we have doesn't hold a candle to that which is God breathed. There are scriptures and then there are inspired scriptures. And when he says you have those inspired scriptures, those inspired writings, let me tell you, they are profitable. Now, what are they profitable for? Well, he tells us they're profitable for teaching. What is teaching? You know what teaching is. Teaching is what I'm endeavoring to do right now. Teaching is is taking information and trying to communicate it to people in a way that they will learn it, understand it, and be able to apply it. That's what teaching is. Great teachers can help a kid who couldn't understand um, math become a physicist or a great scientist or an architect. A great teacher could take a kid who falls asleep every time he has to read Dr. Seuss and help him fall in love with Dostoevsky or Tolstoy. A great teacher can take information and just get it to people so that their whole lives are transformed. He's saying the Word of God is a profitable thing to teach. In fact, he's going further than that. He's not just saying, hey, teachers... If you want something to teach, teach this. What he's saying is, the Scripture is the teacher. The Scripture teaches us. And so all I try to do on Sunday mornings and all that I think pastors ought to try to do when they preach is to try to bring it to life in a way that would help you to understand it and figure out how to apply it. But the teaching itself has to come from God's Word. So if you're a person who's like, I'm not so sure about all this Bible stuff and I don't know if I want to do that, there's a great chance one of two things has to happen. Either that's going to change in you or you're not going to come to Grace Fellowship for very long because because I don't have anything important to say. The only thing I know that's important is in this book. And so I'm going to find ways to teach that. So it's profitable for teaching. It says it's also profitable for reproof. Now, what is reproof? Reproof means that when you see something wrong in my life, and you know that I'm not living the way I ought to be living to be pleasing to God, that you come to me and address that issue and say, Doug, listen, I've been watching and I see that this is going on in your life. Let's say that um, you've caught me in a lie several times. And you you finally say, I got to talk to him about this. And you come to me and you say, Doug, listen, you remember when we talked about this and you lied? 
Remember we talked about this and you lied. Remember we talked about this and you lied again. I'm concerned that there's this pattern of dishonesty in you. And I look at you and go, so what? What business is it of yours? Who cares if I lie now and then? You have the scripture to say, well, let me show you what the scripture says about lying. See, your opinion about how I ought to live my life doesn't matter much to me, to be honest. But if you come with God's opinion about how I have to live my life, that's called reproof. And when you're reproving me with God's word, if I'm a follower of God, you better believe I'm going to pay attention, I'm going to listen, and I'm going to act differently. Um, It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction. And you think, well, isn't that what reproof is? No, reproof is correcting someone's life. Correction is is correcting someone's doctrine. So if there's a preacher up here and he's preaching falsehood and you come to him and you say, I disagree with you, he could say, well, too bad. But if you come with the word of God and you say, listen, here's what the word says and it's just the opposite of what you just said. Now that's correction, okay? We correct false doctrine with right doctrine. It's profitable for that. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what God knows. So we let God's Word speak on the subject. And it's profitable for training in righteousness. It actually changes the way we live. The more that we get it into our hearts. Remember when I was reading in Psalm 119 this morning? The the scripture there, I think it's verse 6. No, verse 10, something like that. In Psalm 119, it says, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Hiding God's word in our heart should actually change the way we live. It's training in righteousness. So here's what I want you to know. And I hope you won't be too offended, but I hope you'll be a little bit offended. Your Bible, it wasn't given to you as a paperweight. Your Bible is not given to you to decorate your bookshelves. Your Bible is not given to you to beat people over the head who are not followers of Jesus. Your Bible was given to you so that God could use it to teach you, to train you, to reprove you, and and to instruct you. That's why He gave it to you. It's the tool that you need to succeed. God's speaking through the Bible. But sadly for some of us, for whatever reason, we're not hearing so well. I'll close with this. I have a friend... um, he, years ago, he went to a car show, and at the car show, they had, you know, this display where um, they had a big barrel. You fill out your thing, give them your information so they can spam you for the rest of your life, and you put it in the barrel, right, and uh, they're going to they're gonna give away a new Corvette, except they're going to take it to every state. They're going to go to 50 states, and they're going to keep filling these barrels, and then all those are going to get mixed up. They're going to have everybody's information, right, so they can, they can market to you. But they are going to pull one name out of the hat, and they're going to give away this Corvette. A year goes by, he gets a call from a phone number he doesn't recognize, so he ignores it. The same call comes every day for several days. Finally, he says, well, I better answer this. Who knows who it is? He answers it, and they say, hey, are you so-and-so? And he says, yes. And they said, did you fill out a thing to get in a drawing for a Corvette? And he says, yes. And they said, well, we had the drawing the other day, and you won the Corvette. And it was legit. <laughs> and they gave him a brand-new convertible Corvette delivered to his house, free. Cool, right? Even I look cool in a convertible Corvette. 
Okay? Now, here's the deal. He came this close to missing it because the calls kept coming and he kept not answering. We walk around with this book. We throw it in the package tray of the back seat of our car so it'll be there next Sunday when we need it. It, it, it gathers dust. We should be devouring it and getting it into our hearts because it's the prize. It's profitable. It's a gift. And it's absolutely necessary for successful living. And until we get it into our lives, we have zero chance of successful living. Simple as that. Some of us are like the patient in the hospital who, because she's so sick, she doesn't want to eat. They just keep bringing the food and they just keep pushing it aside. And the nurses keep saying, if you don't eat, you're not going to get better. If you don't eat, you're not going to get better. And, but the appetite just isn't there. And some of us are wondering why we're shriveling up, why we're not strengthened. If you don't eat, you're not going to grow. All Scripture is inspired by God, and it's profitable. What are you going to do with your Bible this week? Let's pray.